peaches, I get a question all the time. How do y'all, how do you harvest these? Uh, is there a machine to harvest these? No, you have to, you have to reach up and carefully, even, even pulling on it with your fingertips can cause bruising. So harvesting these fruit, uh, you have to be gentle. Harvesting, putting them in a basket, um, taking them to market, you have to be gentle. There's, there's nothing, you can't be rough with these. It only takes a fingernail an indention of a fingernail with people picking it, you know, picking them too fast and putting them in the bucket and taking a chance on some falling out of the bucket. Overwatering, over fertilizing um, can kill something just as quick as never watering it and neglecting it. But a lot of people think, well, it says five pounds, so I'm going to go ahead and put 10 because more will definitely do the job, right? But then you overkill something and it ends up having a negative reaction in the long run. That was good worship. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for being here this morning. I want to say hello to all of you who are watching online and on television. Stay safe. We love you. We're praying for you. For those of you here in the room, would you please give our online television audience a big hand? couple of things I want to make you aware of. Number one, next Sunday on July 25th at 4 p.m., next Sunday, 4 p.m., right here in the Worship Center, we're going to have a Board of Stewards meeting that is open to the entire church. Uh, please, if you can, be there. Uh, we're going to talk about the developing issues within the United Methodist Church and the implications that those have on Fraser and the steps we are taking in response to that. And so next Sunday, July 25th, 4 p.m., right here in the Worship Center, we'll have that meeting. Also want to uh, introduce to you uh, uh, two new staff people. One is in student ministry and associate director of student ministry, and that is Miss Alicia Cook. She will be with us very soon. I know Tyler and team and students are very excited. Yeah, here. Wonderful. And the second one is we have hired a new traditional choir and orchestra director who will be with us on August the 8th, and that is Miss Jordan Sullivan. She will be here. And so whenever you see these two people around our campus, would you please make them feel very, very welcome. Uh, I want to start this morning like we do each and every week, and I want us to pray for another church. Uh, this, today we're going to pray for Parker UMC uh, down in Panama City. Uh, their new pastor is Alex Palamaria, who came out of Fraser. Yeah, many people know Alex. Wonderful, wonderful guy. He came out of Fraser and recently retired as a chaplain in the Air Force. I've gotten to meet Alex a few times now. Just a wonderful, wonderful man. So today is his first Sunday. So we're going to pray for them as they begin this new chapter. And also, I want us to pray for our team that is in Kenya right now, over there working with Meskels, a school that we uh, part, partner with uh, in Kenya. And so we're going to pray for them as they travel and continue to build God's kingdom as well. Sound good? Good. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much. I thank you for your presence that's in this place. I thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and in our lives, even in these moments. And Lord, as we come now to this point where we open up your word and we ask you to speak to us, we pause and we lift up Parker United Methodist Church in Panama City. We pray that you would be with them and their members. Would you watch over them and protect them? Lord, we pray that you would be with Alex in a very powerful way. Lord, it's amazing how you have used him throughout the years, and we just pray that you would continue to do that in powerful and amazing ways to build your kingdom. Lord, we pray for our team in Kenya. Lord, would you watch over them and keep them safe as they too are building your kingdom. And now, Lord, would you speak to us? Would you speak? Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. We love you. We really do. 
And we thank you for loving us. We pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Today we come to the fruit of gentleness as we're going through the fruit of the Spirit found in the book of Galatians. And we're doing this series entitled Sustain. What does it look like to nurture a fruitful life? And as we talk about gentleness, I want to talk about gentleness in light of what we've seen in recent history, particularly the violence that we've seen in recent history. Many people have pointed out, both scholars and historians, that statistically the 20th century has been the most bloodiest century in human history. Francis Simpa wrote these words, quote, The optimists among us who believe in the inevitable progress of man either forget or ignore the fact that the 20th century was the bloodiest, most destructive century in human history. The century's two world wars resulted in deaths of at least 60 million people. The Russian Civil War from 1917 to 1921 killed another 5 to 6 million people. Between them, the tyrannical regimes of Hitler, Stalin, and Mao killed at least another 60 million people of their own citizens. Many millions more were killed and dozens of other smaller conflicts." End quote. If you look throughout history and you look over recent history, you see that no man is not getting any better at all. And this is the context in which we find ourselves in. This is the context in which we live with all of this recent history on our doorstep. And then you look around the world today. You look around the world today and you see what's going on. There's concentration camps in China. The Haitian president, uh, jo uh, Jovenel Moise, was assassinated right outside of Port-au-Prince. You look at the protests that's going on in Cuba where starving people are just want food, just want food. News broke last Monday of 140 students have been abducted in northeast Nigeria. It's been so bad that the police in the area have shut down all the schools saying that they are too vulnerable to function. And we cannot forget the persecutions that are going on in Myanmar, Pakistan, India, North Korea, and the list goes on and on. On June 14th, the Washington Post ran the headline that 2020 was the deadliest gun violence year in decades. So far, 2021 is worse. And that's the world we find ourselves in. That's the world that you and I live in. That's the world that people are looking at right now, and they're wrestling and grappling with the question of, is there an answer? Is there an answer? to everything we see taking place in the world around us? Is there really an answer? And I think we as Christians have to grapple with that same question. And as we're searching for answers to the questions of violence in the world, I think we need to be very careful and not forget or inappropriate displace blame on just the major atrocities of the world. But we have to remember, we have to remember that we as individuals do violence against each other. We do violence against each other. With our words, we participate in violent rhetoric which can, which can destroy the reputation, even the morale of another person. By our actions, both aggressive and passive-aggressive, we can belittle others and seek to erode their dignity. See, violence is not just a worldwide nation-state problem. Violence is a problem in every human heart. Everyone. My heart and your heart. And we as the church must not lose sight of the dignity, the God-given image that every single human being is created in. We must not lose sight of this. 
And while we may not be able to solve the complexities of violence worldwide, I do believe our first task is to address the violence that rests in our own hearts because it is us, it's the church, that God has placed here to be a witness to this violent world. And so we have to do the hard work of looking within and seeing the violence that rests in us and how it plays out in our life. And what if, at least in part, at least in part, a part of the answer to the violence that rests in us is found in the word gentleness. Gentleness. The words translated gentleness or humility or courtesy, depending on your translation, is translated in different ways. But the heart behind the word of gentleness is that it points to your actions that flow from the fact that you care enough about another human being that you are tender to and with that human being. You care enough about another human being that you are tender to and with that human being. I really believe that we'll never get to gentle action in the world until we actually come to that place where we can say that we care about people. Until we can look people into the eyes and not see them for all their faults, flaws, and failures, but see them as someone who's created in the image of God. Only then do I think we will see biblical gentleness on display in the world through the church. Only then. We have to be able to see each other differently. Now, we can, if we want to, we can respond uh, in ways that are normative in a fallen world, if we want to, if we want to. The world is caught in this vicious cycle of offense and retaliation, offense and retaliation. It plays itself all the, out all the time, and we as Christians, we can do that. We can do that, and all we're going to do is perpetuate the violence that is already existing in the world, and we're just going to add to that by our actions and our words that originate from within the motives and intentions of our own selfish hearts that seek self-perseverance. That word. Perseverance. I was on a roll. Anyway. Anyway. We can respond that way. We can come to that place where we say, okay, every offense that is brought my way, I'm going to retaliate. I'm going to seek revenge. Or we could go about life a little differently. Or we could live not just a little differently, radically, radically different. What if a part of the answer to the violence that rages in us is gentleness? What if you don't have to prove to people that you're right? What if you don't have to prove to people that they are wrong? What if you don't have to win the argument? God told me a long time ago, Chris, your job's not to win arguments, it's to win people. To me, not you. What if we could live differently? And what does gentleness have to do with that? You know, Jesus stepped onto the scene in the first century. And he gave a very different picture of humanity, what it means to be human. He also gave a very different picture of what it means to be a child of God. In Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 38, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. That's retaliation. That's revenge. He said, you've heard this, you've been taught this, but, verse 39, I tell you, do not resist an evil person. 
If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go two miles. Give to the one who asks of you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. For you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Very important word, persecute you. And then in verse 45, he says this, that you, that you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He says, what defines you as a child of God is not what happens to you, but how you respond to what happens to you. And what Jesus does here is he subverts the violence that rages in our hearts that leads us to that place where we want revenge and we want to retaliate on other people. And he calls us to this place of gentleness. Gentleness. So many times we think the Sermon on the Mount is a list of rules and stuff for those people out there, but Jesus is speaking to us, and he says, if you really want to be a child of God, this has to be seen in you. Paul picks up on this scene in Philippians 4, 5, and he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Right here, Paul says, you've got to have gentleness, but this is not just secret gentleness. It is evident gentleness. It is seen by other people, and it's to all people. Let your gentleness be evident to all. And so that raises the question, what does it mean to be a gentle follower of Christ? What does that look like? I want us to go to 1 Peter chapter 3, if you have a Bible. 1 Peter chapter 3, I want to pick it up in verse 13. Here, Peter is writing to Christians who are persecuted uh, they've been scattered throughout uh, the Middle East. He writes these words. It's the letter that's circulated uh, to Christians wherever they may be. And part of this letter, 1 Peter 3, pick it up in verse 13. Peter writes and he says, Now, now who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So... Don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about the hope you have as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Verse 16. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then, if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because, because you belong to Christ. Let's go back to verse 13. He asked this question. He says, now if you, you want to, uh, or who will harm you uh, if you are eager to do what is good? Question mark. Kind of a rhetorical question here. But he immediately goes to suffering. He says, but, but, even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. And the question is, what kind of suffering is he talking about here? And we say, well, in particular, he's talking about, you know, a Christian suffering from a non-Christian. And, and that is true. That is true in one sense. But the core of suffering here that I think Peter is getting at is the suffering that the Christian goes through when there are other people for a variety of reasons they do not understand who this loving God is and what he has done for us in sending his own son to die in our place for our sins and being raised for our salvation. So there's an ignorance there, if you will. 
And persecution happens and it flows out of immaturity, ignorance, or whatever it may be, not understanding who this God is and what he has done for us. And therefore, persecution happens. However, it does not just happen from the outside in. Persecution also happens in a Christian's life from the inside, from inside the church. Many times we forget. We forget that the people who are sitting here around us who also claim the name of Christ are people created in the image of God, loved by God, set free by God, saved by God, and we will be in heaven with them one day. And we forget that. And so persecution in broad strokes means, yes, it can be persecution from outside the church coming in, but it can also be the harm that we do, the violence we do inside the church as well. And so the question becomes, whenever other people, whoever they may be, lash out at us in some way, out of personal weakness, immaturity, lack of understanding, whatever it may be, how do we respond gently? And why should we? Why should we? Why don't we just go the way, the road, uh, you know, walk the road uh, that the world takes? Why don't we just do that? Whenever there's an offense, we just retaliate. We get revenge. Why don't we do that? Peter says something very important here. He says, if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you. And I'm going to give you four points that will appear on the screen. Point number one is this. He tells them, do not fear people. Do not fear people. If you want to respond gently in a very hostile world, do not fear people. He says, don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Don't worry. He says, when someone is hostile towards you, Peter says, do not be afraid. You see, as a follower of Christ, it's very important that we should never let our words and actions in response to someone else's come from a place of fear. Come from a place of fear. Whenever fear is a part of human interaction, things always, always escalate. Great harm is always done. We even have language for this. We joke about this. We say things like, don't back me into a corner, right? We say, no, 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 don't back me into a corner. You put me in a place of fear, I'm going to come out swinging. It's even a part of our language. And whenever fear is a part of interaction, whenever we are responding to people out of fear, great harm is always done. That's why Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Notice that. He says, A gentle answer turns away wrath that's already present in the other person. And he says, But harsh words stir up anger. Anger that's already present in the other person. He says, You can diffuse that. And we as followers of Christ, we have to make sure that, that fear does not fuel our response to others, even when they seek to do us harm. And so the first thing we have to do, Peter tells us, is don't be afraid. Do not fear people. Jesus actually taught us about that as well, right? Fear only God, not people. And so point number one, don't fear people. Point number two, he says, focus on Christ. Stay focused on Christ. He says it in verse 15. He says, instead, instead of fearing other people, he says, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. Instead, you keep your eyes directed on Jesus Christ and who he is. Meaning, when someone is hostile toward you or mean-spirited toward you, whatever it may be, our job is to stay focused on Christ, not the person. Not the person. You see, whenever we stay focused on Christ, what, what's going to happen is we're going to continue to look at Christ and then we're going to be able to see that person through Christ. Christ is going to be the paradigm through which we look through and we view other people, even people who disagree with us or want to do us harm. 
He says, so you have to have the lens of Christ. You have to look through Christ to other people. So you stay focused on Christ. Whenever we do not focus on Christ and keep Christ in front of us and look at people through who Christ is, all we see are their faults. All we see is the offense. And then we get sucked into that vicious cycle of retaliating and responding in an unchrist-like way. But, but if we can see them through the lens of Christ, then we will see them as Christ sees them. It's not enough to look at people through our own natural fallen eyes, but when you can see them through divine eyes, that makes all the difference in the world. And then how you treat people, even people who seek to do you harm, radically changes in that moment. Again, the other option is we just get into that vicious cycle. Offense, retaliation. Offense, Retaliation, But it's Jesus who can break the vicious cycle of offense and retaliation. It is Jesus who can bring restoration and reconciliation and forgiveness. He can do that. So the first thing we have to do is we don't fear people. We don't operate out of fear of people. Second thing we do is we stay focused on Christ. We worship Christ as Lord, which means we're going to view people through Christ. We're going to look through Christ to see other people. We're going to see them as people created in the image of God. They do have dignity, and something is going on here that maybe Christ can restore. The third thing is that we have to be ready to point people to Christ. Be ready to point people to Christ. He says, do not fear do not fear people. Do not fear their threats. Instead, worship Christ as Lord of your life. And then he says, and if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Always be ready to explain it. You see, what Peter knows is that when the Christian does not operate out of fear, when the Christian stays focused on who Christ is and views other people through the lens of Christ, Peter knows that this is going to leave the world confused. And they're going to ask questions about what kind of faith is this that you have? What kind of Savior is this that you are talking about? Palm Sunday, 2017. Egypt. Two bombs went off in two historic Coptic Christian churches. And the world went crazy. Everybody was watching this. Hours after the two explosions where 50 people were killed and 100 more were injured, Father George walked back into his packed church. People came back to the church. He walked back into the church. He stood up and he gave a sermon. The sermon went viral. The sermon was to the terrorist. He entitled the sermon, A Message to Those Who Kill Us. He gave three points in that sermon. Number one was thank you. Number two was we love you. And number three was we're praying for you. Thank you. We love you. We're praying for you. He said thank you to the terrorist. He said what you did here today, you, you think you destroyed 50 lives. You didn't destroy 50 lives. They died a martyr's death in the name of Jesus, and now they're with him. Thank you. He said we love you. There's a divine love that can help us love even you in the midst of this taking place and what you did 
And then number three, we're praying for you. We're praying that you would experience this kind of love from this kind of God. And when Father George gave that sermon to those terrorists, and those were his three points, the world was speechless. Speechless. How can a man respond in that way? How can he say thank you? How can he say we love you? How can he say we're praying for you? <laughs> That's only by the power of the Spirit and a resurrected Savior. And when the world sees that kind of response from the church, and if God can empower Father George to do that in the midst of that tragedy, you don't think he can empower me and you at work or with our family or with friends and what we deal with? And when the world sees a different response, they're going to want to know. Tell me about that faith. Tell me about that Savior. Because that's not the way the world responds. The world is offense. Retaliation. Offense. Retaliation. And Peter says, we're not going to do it that way. The Spirit of God is going to lead us in a very different way. We're not going to fear people. We're going to stay focused on Christ. Stay focused on Christ, on Christ alone. And then whenever they ask, and they will, we're going to point people to Christ. Point number four. That I believe that we as Christians are called to do everything with gentleness because you respect people and represent Christ. In that moment, Father George had respect that I don't know I could have had, if I'm being honest, because it's supernatural respect. And he represented Christ in this gentle way. When Peter writes here in verse 16, he says, I want you to do this. I want you to not fear people. I want you to worship Christ as Lord. And I want you to always be ready to explain this hope that you have. And then verse 16 says, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. You know, whenever it comes to sermons like this, when we talk about things like gentleness, a lot of times kind of the taste that's left in our mouth is that, well, Jesus, you're, or, excuse me, Jesus or Paul or Peter or whoever the preacher of the day is, you're kind of telling me to be a uh, passive pushover. You know, am I just supposed to let people run all over me? When the Bible talks about gentleness, if you don't hear anything else I say, please hear this. The Bible is not calling us to be passive pushovers. The Bible is calling us to a gentleness that is so radical. There's actually power and strength in it. You see, gentleness is not about you being weak. Gentleness is about how you handle the weakness of others. Gentleness is not about you being weak. It takes a strong person, someone grounded in the foundation that is Jesus Christ and walking in the Spirit. It takes a strong person to be gentle. It's not about you being weak. It's about how you handle the weakness of others. And you see, this is what God did for you. And this is what God did for me. God was gentle with us. He cared enough about us that his actions toward us were tender, tender. 
And those tender actions flowed to us, and they were with us. Even when we did not want to be with Him, God loved us when we did not want to love Him. Whenever we didn't want to talk with God, God still wanted to hear from us. When we didn't want a relationship with God, God still wanted a relationship with us because He's gentle. He's gentle, and He would step down into our lives. Whenever we didn't want to take time to be with Him, He would still take time to be with us. His presence was, was still with us in powerful ways. It's called prevenient grace. When we would not come to God with our problems, He would come to us in our problems. When we would not go to God with our suffering, God would come to us in the midst of our suffering. This is what God has done for us. And then He calls me and you to just go and do likewise. You go do for others what I've done for you. Christians in the room, Christians watching online, if there are any. That was funny. I had to ask for a laugh. It's not funny anymore. We're in 1 Peter chapter 3, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. It says, For God called you to do good. Even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. You want to follow in Jesus' steps? He never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. Jesus didn't participate in this cycle of violence that comes from our fallen hearts. He didn't do it. He chose a different path. It says he left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. You see, we who want to be followers of Christ, who claim that we are followers of Christ, we can walk, we can live the way the world lives. Offense, retaliation. Offense, I'm going to get revenge. We do it in words and actions. We can do that. Or, or we can see the gentleness that God has brought into our lives and the way he has been gentle to us, and we can seek to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and live that gentleness out. And my prayer for us as a church and for you as an individual is that you would see that's not weakness. That only happens by the power of the Spirit. And when the world sees the gentleness of the church, that can only happen by the Spirit of God and a resurrected Savior. They want to know, who is that man? And my prayer is that as gentleness is on display in us and they ask that question, we would be ready to give an answer. Amen? Amen. Father, I pray that that would be so. Father, I pray that it would be so among us. You have been so gentle with us. Because you care about each and every one of us, you have been so tender in drawing near to us when we rejected you, when we wanted nothing to do with you, you kept coming. And that gentleness has melted our hearts. And so, Father, I pray that we would seek to do the same. Father, I pray that you would give us a gentle spirit. 
a gentleness that's not defined the way the world defines it, a gentleness that's defined the way heaven defines it, a gentleness that is strong and powerful, that helps us keep our strength under control, that we may see the beauty of every human life and embrace them the way you've embraced us. And so, Lord, in these moments, I pray two things. You would remind us of your gentleness. May we experience in these moments. And, Lord, may we leave from this place and we give it to others. Lord, let it be so. Let us be marked by gentleness for your honor and your glory. I pray this in Jesus' powerful name. And everybody said...